Hey, welcome to Pull the Thread Podcast. I'm your host, Crystal Douglas. I'm a celebrity tailor, a wild mustang tamer, and an entrepreneur. I managed to take a Brother Project Runway Home sewing machine and built a six-figure sewing business that supports a life I love, and I hop behind the mic to show you that you can do the same thing too. I am documenting all of my experiences in building my own little honey empire, complete with mess ups and mistakes and experiments and celebrations so that you can shortcut to success faster. So you ready? Let's dive into the episode. Okay, welcome back to Pull the Thread episode 12. I've pressed record on this episode so many times and I'm just going to rant for a second. It's almost as if it just was not meant to happen. Every time I would press record, the rain would start and it would be so, 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 so loud. And so finally, we're going to go ahead and try it. But if you hear uh, the pitter patter of rain on the roof, uh, on the metal roof, I'm so sorry. I'm doing the best that I can. I'm a busy girl and I only have these tiny little windows of time to be able to record these episodes for you guys. Um, For instance, this week is Grammy week and Music Cares week, and I have tailored my little bum off. And so I've got some looks walking the red carpet, some looks performing. Um, We've been tour prepping for tours. We've been working on costumes, and then we've also been manufacturing in our small batch division. So it has been wild, but let's go ahead. Let's dive on into the episode. We'll see how far we get before the rain just completely takes over the audio, Um, and we'll go with it. So Episode 12, I want to start with a story because I haven't given you one in a little bit. Gabrielle Chanel was born August 19th, 1883 in Saumur, France. She was born into poverty in the French countryside. Her mother died and her father abandoned her and her two sisters, sending them to an orphanage while their brothers were sent to work at a farm. Raised by nuns, Gabrielle was taught to sew. After a brief stint as a shop girl, Chanel worked for a few years as a cabaret singer. It was there, singing for cabaret, where Gabrielle received a new name, one that you're probably more familiar with, Coco. She later became associated with a few wealthy men, and between the tips that she made singing for Cabaret and financial assistance from an associate, Arthur Cappell, Coco was able to open a tiny millinery shop in DeVille, where she also sold simple sportswear, such as jersey sweaters. Within five years, her poor girl look had attracted the attention of influential wealthy women seeking relief from the corseted styles that had been popular for far too long. She remained faithful to her mantra that luxury must be comfortable. Otherwise, it's not luxury. By the late 1820s, Coco was just in her 40s and the Chanel Industries were reportedly worth millions employing more than 2,000 people between the couture house, the perfume laboratory, a textile mill, and a jewelry workshop. Chanel's design stressed simplicity and comfort, and as you know, revolutionized the fashion industry. Years later, I wandered into a pawn shop in Europe, not really looking for anything in particular. As I peered into the glass case by the register, I couldn't help but notice a small, pair of scissors, sterling silver with decorative hammered finger holes. They had the tiniest silver ring around the handle and seemed so old and so perfect. I asked to see them and the owner asked if I knew what they were. 
Not looking up from the scissors as they made their way to my hands, I nodded and said I was a seamstress. He told me the story about how the scissors were a consolation prize. He traveled into England for what he was told would be the finest estate sale that year. Now, to help you picture it, it was as if Downton Abbey was being sold, like everything from the furniture to the clothing to the servants' belongings, they were all being sold off now that the entire estate had been purchased without its contents. Bidders had come from all over, some as far as Spain and France and Portugal, and this had been a huge deal for collectors and flippers. And the auction had excited everyone in attendance. Now, just as the auction began, a caravan of four large black luxury SUVs had come to a halt at the estate. Several men had stepped out of one of the SUVs, and one of them matched the description of one Carl Lagerfeld, aka, you know, the designer who took over Chanel. The man closest to him approached an estate official from the back of the auction and with one simple, quick exchange of words, the entire auction for the entire estate was over. The man had bought all of the estate's contents. Now, the auction's attendees, they were furious. They quickly left. They were spinning out, leaving empty-handed. I'm just mad that they'd made the track for nothing. And my new shopkeeper friend approached the very same official, politely asking for details. All items are going to Chanel, he said. He was told by another official to come back later as if there was no way the crew that Chanel would send in to pack everything would take it all. So that's what he did. And when he returned that afternoon, he was led into the back drawing room of the estate where various odds and ends were scattered across the floor, just super carelessly thrown about. Um, It was like they had emptied drawers and uh, containers and boxes and everything else of, of anything that didn't really look valuable. In a small pile was a wax seal and wax and some papers, some keys, and a small pair of thread scissors. They took the box, but nothing in it, said an attendant. My friend snatched it all up and brought it home with him. The contents must have belonged to the head housekeeper of the estate. And judging by the quality of these scissors, sterling silver, she had to have been very loved and valued by the family because see, it was tradition that the family would give that head housekeeper her thread scissors. The small little circle around the finger hole was so that she could clip her scissors to her waist belt so that she wouldn't lose them. And I can only imagine how well cared for these scissors were that the tiny delicate ring is still intact today. The scissors made their way home with me, and I treasure them, and I love to share this story, the one where Coco Chanel's expert team unknowingly left such a treasure behind, one that my shopkeeper friend held on to until he met a seamstress who he deemed worthy to have them. Now, if you were judging by the intro of this episode by the title, you're probably a little surprised that I would start off with a story that is a combination of Coco Chanel and Downton Abbey and me ending up in a pawn shop in Ennis. And you're probably wondering what NFTs have to do with the history of Coco Chanel. Maybe you don't even know what an NFT is yet. You know that it's a buzzword, but you don't know what it is, or you're baffled at the idea that people are paying millions of dollars for cartoonized drawings of apes on the internet. I was never a trendsetter growing up. (laughs) 
<laughs> I mean, hello. Like I went through a phase in elementary school where I wore construction worker boots every day for months and you better believe that I wore them with royal blue stirrup pants and a giant scrunchie because like 90s kid here. But I did learn at an early age, as many other kids did, that it pays to know who the trendsetters are. And it pays in spades if you're able to get on board at the right time on the trend. See, Coco knew that corsets were tired. And she chose to be the one to offer something new and risky. It was technology, but with fabric and thread. She also knew what the perfume industry was lacking. And she wasn't afraid to pivot and be scrappy as she stepped into an entirely foreign industry. Remember when people said Facebook was just a trend? And then it grew up to shape web 2.0 and now you can log into just about any website or platform using your Facebook account. Change is coming. Web 3.0 is just around the corner and I'm going to bring you up this up to speed on what that is before we go any further. Okay, let's go. Web 1.0 was AOL. And if you're 28 or older, the dial-up sound is playing in your head right now like it is mine. But Web 1.0 was read-only. No web page styling, no pretty CSS, no pretty font options, definitely no video content. You needed a (laughs) CD-ROM to see anything move on your screen. But hey, we had email and we had forums for when things got wild. We had AOL chat, okay? Then Web 2.0 came along. This is the Facebook and Google area. All of the info starts to go into central places. We've got video content and blogging and HTML and podcasting and social media. And a major flaw here is that all data is stored on a centralized server controlled by the companies. Facebook, Google, and Twitter began storing users' data in their servers so that they can serve us better. (laughs) So that they can serve us better content through machine learning. And this, in turn, makes us stay on their websites longer, meaning more ad revenue for them, less privacy for you. Then these companies eventually started selling our information to advertisers. If you don't see a product exchanging hands, and you're not paying for the benefits, then friend, you are the product. It's kind of a good way to look at the services and the products that you use. If you don't really see immediately who it's benefiting, or it's not benefiting the person using it, then the person using it is the product. The Web3 concept aims to create a decentralized but safe internet in which people can securely exchange money and information without the need for middlemen or big tech companies. Unlike Web 2.0, where data is stored in a single database or on a cloud provider, Web 3 applications either run on the blockchain or servers. In contrast to Web 2.0, where you are the product, some people predict that in Web 3, you will be the content owner. According to Web3 specialists, the corporation will be run by a decentralized group. It's known as a DAO. It's a decentralized autonomous organization. Removing the need for CEOs and upper management in a company. Your digital identity is not tied to your real identity in Web3. 
so you can be as anonymous as you want on the internet while still living your usual life. All of this may not mean much to you at the moment, but you just wait. Mark my words. Wait until the first social media network is built on the blockchain. Just wait. When customers are messaging you asking if they can pay in crypto rather than a credit card and they don't care what the gas fee is. This isn't about digital artwork. This is about understanding that as a creative, being quick to sample and test new technology and being willing to learn how the new tech works will shape the way you get and do business. I swear to you, my friend, I swear to you, 10 times out of 10, if you bet against tech, you're going to lose on that bet. So what is an NFT really? What does it have to do with you and your creative business? How can you plug your business into the crypto and the NFT space in a way that feels authentic to you, especially if you don't care? I'm answering all of this in this episode. So now, I mean, before I launch into NFTs and how they could completely change your life this year, I want to first clarify that I have been buying and selling NFTs for 10 months now. Um, I'm recording this in March of 2022. It's about to be April. And while I am not a seasoned pro, I've got 10 months of experience buying and and selling. Um, And I have both gotten ripped off. Yep. Mm -hmm. And I have profited from the exchange of them. This is a very new space. And if you plan to buy NFTs, I really want to encourage you to do your homework and shop for a while before you make your first purchase. Join different Discord communities. Discord is a communication app. It's kind of like Slack, but like for friends. Um, It's kind of like WhatsApp, but for like lots of people in it. There are different Discord communities for all sorts of different types of crypto and for NFTs. And I'd encourage you to find ones that you fit into and plug into that community, plug into the one that feels right for you before simply attaching a crypto wallet and going wild. Okay. Um, So if you are still stumped, this is going to help you. What is an NFT? NFT stands for non-fungible token. And if that's weird enough to make you say you want to quit now, I get it. Um, But just just hang in there. I'm going to make it even easier, okay? An NFT is a unit of data stored on the blockchain that allows a digital asset to be attached to the value that the cryptocurrency assigns. I want to help you visualize this. So let's think of your car if you have one. The car is the blockchain technology. That's what crypto is is being mined on, okay? And my puppy is sleeping and barking in his sleep. Um, so between the rain and the puppy bark, you know, you have a whole ambiance here. Okay, an NFT is what is in the pocket of the back of the driver's seat of your car. Whatever you keep in there is coming with you, but it's not the purpose of the trip. The internet is freaking out because of what's stored in the pocket. And while, yes, it's extremely important that you know what they are, I'm actually more concerned that you understand why the car is important because of just how far you can take the item in the pocket of that car. Okay, first of all, blockchain is where the crypto is being mined. So you are buying an NFT by buying a piece of crypto, like exchanging money for cryptocurrency and then buying the NFT using a piece like some of that crypto. 
my business already accepts cryptocurrency as a payment. I'll take it any day. I'll take it. Um, I don't even care what the gas fees are. I don't care. Um, and when the market was really, really low, um, I was pushing that offering. And I thought it was actually really, really funny. I have a client who does merch for the Tennessee Titans. And he was like, are you doing that because the market's low? And I was like, heck yeah. <laughs> because if um, if they make a payment that is worth, let's say, 150 US dollars, but um, Ethereum is really low that day, like in value, um, let's say Ethereum... A couple weeks ago, Ethereum tanked and it was only worth $2,400. Um, so one Ethereum is 2,400 times more valuable than one US dollar. Um, and so it had tanked down to that price. And so I was taking payments. And so let's say you bought $150 worth of crypto to pay me my $150, but in Ethereum. And then two days later, Ethereum shoots back up to $3,200. Well, then I have um, increased the value. It's no longer $150 that they paid me. Now it's somewhere around like $260, something like that, $270. Yeah. So totally worth it to me. I will absolutely pay that gas. <laughs> so on one hand, um, people are already using cryptocurrency in the world to pay um, and exchange things. And um, like, for instance, in comparison, that simple exchange of pressing a button and the money is in my wallet in a millisecond, I have the money. Um, I also have a designer who is about to start manufacturing her line with us and she's fumbling through her banking system just to get it to send a simple ACH payment, which is going to take days and sometimes a full week. And if it's PayPal, they're going to hold your funds for 30 days. So standardized banking, that's all centralized in this centralized system. It's like banking for Web 2.0 makes it really, really fumbly and unhelpful and not streamlined and not easy because the banks want their hands in the pot. They want to be able to hold on to your funds for a week so that they can profit off of investing that money, right? And then when they give it to you a week later, they just say that's just how it is and see Web3 and blockchain and mining for crypto is showing us that it doesn't have to be that way. And that scares centralized and standardized banking. Okay, so the internet's freaking out. People are going for it. So now that I'm giving you a little bit more background of like how cryptocurrency is already living and breathing and working in society, in a capitalist society, it's already happening. We're already using it to trade and exchange things. Um, and then we've already started to not only use it as a currency, but as a smart contract. Okay. So it's not necessarily the crypto well, yes, that has a sliding value. So if I buy an NFT in crypto, on one day my NFT could be worth a lot. On another day it could be worth not as much, but that's okay because that's the risk that you take in investing, right? It's the same thing. It's all investing. So I've explained to you how the cryptocurrency is already working as is. Um, I want to explain a little bit more about NFTs and how smart contracts absolutely are the future and why creatives have to understand what they are. I'm panicking that I want you to understand this. I want my listeners to be so, so, so far ahead of so many other creatives because I want you guys to get this because you have so much opportunity sitting right in front of you. Okay. So imagine if Picasso sold a painting and then that painting resold for more two weeks later. Would Picasso get a cut of the flip? Of course not, but you knew that. Now along comes NFTs. 
let's say you as a creative sell one. Just the digital file based on the blockchain on a piece of crypto. And it gets resold numerous times. Since the business is being done on the blockchain, the original seller of the piece of art, whether it's music, a drawing, a cartoon, anything, the original seller gets a royalty too. You and everyone currently selling the NFT now make money in the arbitrage because you own a piece of the blockchain. You own the car. So if somebody's going to Uber using your car, you're going to take a cut. You own the car that the artwork happens to be riding in. I really hope this metaphor is landing for you. So there's a reason these banks are freaking out, right? They don't like the idea that people are keeping their money in, uh, they're not keeping their money in traditional banking systems anymore because half a percent of interest isn't exactly sexy, right? So we're looking at other places because it's not even keeping up with inflation. I mean, hello, we printed 33% of the US dollar in 2020 and now it's worth way less, which means inflation is driven up, which means Americans are drawn towards investments because it's the only way to protect yourself against inflation. But see, the banks can't keep up with that. The banks have cut the rates way, way, way down to a percent. And they say that's huge or a half a percent, whereas you can yield 89% in crypto overnight. <laughs> so the banks are not happy with this. Many of them do not understand cryptocurrency and they think that it's a trend, which is why crypto will absolutely change everything that you know about how we use money. And do you know who is always, always, always at the forefront of using emerging technologies? Creatives. Here's my one piece of investment advice. If you want to get good at predicting human behavior and profiting from it. In history, the artists have always gone first. Watch what they're doing and see what sticks based on how it enables basic human behaviors. I yielded 100% interest on my investments in the stock market in 2020, um, and I yield between 40 and 60% in my current investments now. So how does this work? There are apps that allow you to convert your current cryptocurrency like the US dollar into a cryptocurrency of your choice, such as Ethereum. You'll pay what's called a gas fee. It's like a credit card processing fee for crypto. And since it's all new, some of them are excessive on certain platforms on certain days. And this part is annoying. <laughs> and I recommend that you use one that allows you to set the slippage low, like at 1%. Since the value of crypto changes moment by moment, slippage is just the difference between the price that you expect to get on the crypto that you've ordered and the price that you actually get for it when the order executes because it's changing. The value is changing by pennies or dollars by the moment. So you don't want to try to buy one Ethereum and your budget is $2,400 and then it spikes to $3,800 and your bank's just been deducted for that amount. So you want to set the slippage at 1%, 2%, like no more than two. Now, once you've turned your money into crypto, and it's present in your crypto wallet, you're then able to pair that wallet with an NFT wallet, such as OpenSea. It's a platform. So I've been using OpenSea since May of 2021. I have to say, I think I could make a career out of watching human behaviors on OpenSea. Uh, OpenSea is where creatives are meeting commerce and business is being done rapidly. 
The ability to buy and sell NFTs in seconds and have that money immediately transferred into your hands blows the idea of traditional banking out of the water. There is no waiting. There's no bank processing time, otherwise known as banks holding onto your money so they can profit from it. Pretend the funds are lost on the internet for days just to make a buck. It is as instant as a text message. It's that quick. And with tech like this gaining a foothold, you and your creative business had better be terrified to not understand it. So who's using them? Who's using these NFTs? What's happening here, right? Just about everyone at this point. Art, music, web domains. You can sell web domain names as an NFT. Realtors, you name it. Business is swiftly moving to the blockchain to cut out the middleman and give creators control. The first house sale was transacted completely on the blockchain with no bank involved not long ago. And if that's an indicator that you can't hold off on learning about this technological disruptor, I don't know what is. It's about the smart contract. It's about not necessarily the value of the crypto, but what you're promising alongside it. Gary Vaynerchuk launched VFriends months and months and months ago, um, and it started on the, his floor, so the cheapest that the NFT would sell for was two Ethereum, so it was worth around $5,000 at the time, uh, and he made, I want to say, and I, don't quote me on this, but I want to say he said he made around like $60 million on the initial sale of the NFTs and then $48 million in royalties on the flip like of people buying and then selling. So he made close to like $100 million um, in, in his sale of his NFTs. And the value, the true value, because it's just a hand-drawn sketch that's digitized, the true value was the smart contract mounted upon the NFT. So inside of that VFriends, um, inside of that NFT, you got a ticket to VCon which is like a, a festival for the, all of these incredible speakers. And your girl, your girl's going. I'm going to be there. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, so the lineup is insane. I mean, you have everybody from Snoop Dogg to Jesse Itzler to Deepak Chopra. <laughs> Are you kidding? You know, um, Jim McNeilis. It's, it's crazy. Like the amount of people that are involved in entertainment and creative and nfts it's wild uh oh logan paul is going to be there by the way um so like all these different people are going um and we're going to talk all about nfts and all about technology and um it's it's the go-to event for people on the forefront of this space and you get a ticket if you got the nft and so i really want that to be the example of value added in that smart contract you can sell anything as an NFT and the artwork can be one-tenth of what you're actually selling. So it leads me to my next question. Um, the one that you're probably thinking about, what does it mean for creatives like me? Well, like I said, art is the first, always the first to emerging technologies. But first, if you're a fashion designer or you're aspiring to be one, we have to think of new technology as ways to sell both existing items that we create in the execution of our ideas and opportunities to sell our actual business and designing processes. In minutes, you could convert your fashion sketches into an NFT 
and list it on OpenSea. And while it may not mean much for designers just starting out, ask yourself what it means to you staying in your notebook away from where the world can enjoy it too. What does it mean to you keeping that piece of art as a secret when they're going to see the design anyways? Ask yourself the value of that croquis sketch in your hands versus the value of that croquis sketch traded in an internet commerce should you go on to become the next Coco Chanel. Major luxury brands have already followed suit and are selling various pieces of their seasonal runway collections as NFTs, but beyond selling the drawings of what will become your actual product, remember that in business, the more touch points, the better. The more ways that you can connect with followers and fans and customers and subscribers, the more robust your brand becomes. By providing the opportunity for individuals to engage with these little pieces of what you offer the world, you're widening your reach and you're diversifying your risk as a creative business. Because let's be honest, creative businesses come with a whole lot more risk than others. Now, let's say you're not a fashion designer. Let's say you are a creative entrepreneur. I see you. I have not forgotten about you. I want you to think about Facebook and Instagram and TikTok. Now I want you to ask yourself, have you ever felt, oh, I can't even say this with a straight face. Have you ever felt sold to on these platforms? Of course you have. <laughs> what if I told you that every time you published to Facebook, you actually had the right, or rather I should say, you owned that piece of Facebook where you published it. Do you think that that would be good for the whole? Because the details aren't quite there yet, but I'm going to make a bold claim. This is March 2022. I'm, 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 I swear, I'm guaranteeing you the next major social media network will absolutely be built on the blockchain and your girl's going to get Crystal, just the handle Crystal. Just K-R-Y-S-T-A-L and she's going to own it because she's going to be early. So when it does, you have to understand it. Because unless you sell out and you only sell it like pop-ups and festivals and on Etsy, then your business is contingent on your reach. Do not let this new piece of technology pass you by. You understand the basics now. Okay, like I, I promise you, I wouldn't have, I, like you get the basics. If you've listened this far, you understand the basics of what's happening. You'll be a better position, you'll be in a better position to do business as a creative when the technology reaches max saturation because you now have an understanding of just the basics. So at the moment, the best comparison that I have with NFTs is that we're in the stage where Facebook was college kids only. Do you remember that? Like if you're in your 30s, then you know what I'm talking about. Like it was college kids only. I was in high school, okay, when Facebook became popular. And I remember having to like, like, trade things like chores and different things with my sister to get her to give me an invite because she managed to get an invite from someone else who was already in college. So, so yeah, like that's the phase that we're at right now with NFTs is like the cool kids are in on it. The kids that are tall enough to ride the ride are in on it, but Hey, there's no gatekeeper keeping you out. You don't need an invite. 
Like this is your invite. The table's long enough for you. It's not a tall fence. It's a really long table, okay? Like, which is why I'm like, I'm not building fences around this information. We're just building a longer table and I'm saying, hey, pull up a chair because like you can make money on this. You can learn from this and you can learn new ways to market and grow your business because it might be new, but that tech is here to stay. It's just that not everyone's using it yet. So I want you to get in on the understanding now. So now that I've mapped out the basics for you, let's talk about how to respect the tech in a way that feels authentic to you. If tech is not your friend, that's okay. Simply listening to this podcast has given you a working understanding of the tech so that your spidey senses are working and you kind of know what's coming. So over the next year or two, you will be able to adjust in time because you're already aware of what's happening and you're aware you're going to have to make some changes upcoming. At some point, you will have to pivot how you reach your audience because when new technology peaks, all attention will be fixated there. At the moment, When I'm recording this, attention is still in Instagram, but mostly in TikTok. That's what all of this is about. As creative entrepreneurs, we are day traders of attention. You do not get to be isolated. We are not allowed to be rigid. Remember what Coco Chanel was actually doing. Coco was pushing fashion forward by offering Jersey goods. Jersey. Jersey in the 20s in a still corseted DeVille, France. Coco was day trading attention and looking for what was on the horizon tomorrow. She took risks because she saw fashion progressing in a way that found ease. And if you take anything away from this episode, it's that, that technology is adopted as a whole when adoption is easier than rejection. I'm going to say that again. Technology is adopted as a whole when adoption is easier than rejection. And when a handful adopt a new alternative, everything you know is about to shift. If tech is your friend and you have a strategy that's working for you, this is my yellow little caution flag to not get comfortable in your sweet little email funnels and your social media marketing strategies. And to explore the world of NFTs regardless of how you think your NFTs will sell if you were to sell them yourself. This could be as simple as selling digital versions of your artistic sketches or surface pattern designs if you're a surface pattern designer. It could also mean preparing your marketing strategy for a seismic shift to the next social media platform. And it could also mean investing. Yes, investing. in blockchain-backed technologies that will soon yield more powerful results than your current ad strategy does. However you choose to use what you've learned in this episode, I hope it's added to your day. I hope it's inspired you. I hope it's been able to bring something new to your creative table. And I hope that my story of Coco Chanel has inspired you to look at fashion as its own form of technology and see how using fashion as technology can transform how we interact with the world and with our customers. Thank you so much for listening to episode 12 of Pull the Thread. I'm unbelievably grateful that all of you, like you're listening to these shows, like of all of the shows that you could be listening to right now, you chose to press play on this one. I'm so grateful. I'm so thankful. Other people just like you find this resource by your reviews 
and your subscriptions. <laughs> so please take the two seconds and hit that five stars button. If you're feeling mega generous, leave a review. Remember, five stars is the only option that you can click on this podcast. Make sure that you click all of the five, all five of them. Just count as you click them just to be sure. No, don't click them. Don't do that. I didn't mean to say that. Click the five, the fifth star, because we don't want it to submit a one-star review, okay? Nope. You want to click the fifth star. And if you're feeling super, super, super generous with your time, leave a review because I read every single one of them. Now, before I sign off, I have something different, just something different to to give you. Um, but I also feel like it's giving back to me in a way. Hear me out. Um. This is a ad-free podcast at the moment. Um, So what I'd like to do is I would like for you to submit an ad to me. And I want you to record it. And you can record it on headphones or an AirPod or just in the voice notes on your phone. But here's the catch. It can't be for a product or a service. I would love for my listeners to just take a couple of seconds and record a voice note as an ad for a nonprofit or a cause or a charity that means something dear to you. And I want you to record a quick ad for it, what they're doing in the world and how they're serving. And I'm going to provide a link in the show notes so that you can upload this voice note so that I can go through them and we can add your ad (laughs) to my podcast for your cause going forward. You in? What do you think? <laughs> Catch the link in the show notes and on the website. I'll be pushing it out. I'll make sure that it's something easy for you to click on and add to. Um, I can't wait to hear what you guys submit. I love connecting with different people listening to this podcast. It has fed me so much. I love it. Um, but yeah, that's all I've got for you today. Catch you next time on Pull the Thread. <laughs>